You're listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Hey guys, Chandler back here with you with Mr. Daniel Rowland. Howdy. And Miss Emma Story. Hey y'all. I said Emma. 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 Yeah, Emma. it's Emma. Emma Story. Thank you. And we have a very special guest with us here today. None other than the Mr. Sir Reverend Pastor Josh. Very special guest. Very special guest. The most special. The most special. So, yeah, Although not so special that I was one of the first people you asked to do this podcast. Yeah. Right. You were, but hey, you were definitely like we had scheduled you weeks ago. Like we wanted mm. to do you weeks ago. At least you made the I list. I heard about it yesterday. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it kind of felt like somebody canceled to be honest. <laughs> Uh, Sky, we'll get you next week. Um, so, uh, before we begin, we want to do, uh, well, first of all, we are doing a Q&A podcast with Pastor Josh. Many of you listeners submitted questions over the past few weeks um, that we're going to be asking Pastor Josh here today. Um, they're not easy, so are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. First of all, do I look all right? I wasn't sure what to wear for this. Yeah, they, they can't see you. It's great. That could have been better. That's <laughs> Adam's color palette. That's all Adam's wear. <laughs> All right, so we got a few quick fire questions. We're just gonna let's go start off with um, just easy enough. Where did the phrase "I love you" and "I love being your pastor" come uh, from? So uh, this is actually a good story. When I uh, my first church, I was uh, meeting with an old kind of seasoned pastor one day for lunch, and I looked at him and I said, "I really love these people." And it was my first pastor. I hadn't, ex- I'd, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting like a genuine, overflowing love. And he goes, "Well, have you told him?" So what do you mean? He goes, well, tell him. And uh, so I started telling him. And I didn't say that when I first got here. Like my first year here, I didn't want to like, because I had said it at my old church, and I didn't want to like, I don't want it to be a canned thing. Yeah. And it was after about a year, I thought, man, I really do love these people. So mm-hmm. I love them, and I thought That's it's so good sweet. to tell them. Wow. Yeah. Glad you love us. Yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> Second, if you weren't a pastor, what area of the church would you love to serve in on Sunday mornings? And why is it preschool? <laughs> why is it preschool? <laughs> Uh, can I still preach? Can I still? I got nothing else. Yeah. I think I'd be a good door greeter. Like, I like I to greet so. people. It's valid. And I'm kind of like, a, I'm a that. good, I'm not a super great, let's sit down one-on-one and have a long conversation, but I'm I'm a pretty good, like, mingler and greeter. Yeah. I think I could, I think I would love to do that. It's a valid answer. Yeah. It's valid. Okay. Which boy band would you join if you could join any boy band? Uh, so, we have a family playlist. Okay. Uh, on I Spotify. And, uh... Just the other day, we we're having a conversation that if we had to choose one boy band to listen or one band to listen to the rest of our life, we'd go with One Direction. Absolutely. I'm a big. I'm actually a. I'm a. I'm a. You're a directioner. A, I'm a pretty big directioner. fan. Directioner. There you I'll go. be honest. That's exciting. Um, yeah, I love it. So good. Yeah. Good answer. Who is your favorite staff member who hasn't been to your house? Um. Uh, yeah. So that'd be pretty easy to answer. Every staff member has been to my house multiple occasions for different events, uh, except Adam Tarver. So he's never been to the house. <laughs> I don't really, it, honestly, it'd take the whole 30 minutes to explain all of that, but, um, but yeah, he's probably my So, de facto, he's, 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 he's de facto, he's yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. There you go, Adam. So. <laughs> you made the list. What's really your, sad. what is your skincare routine, and what's your favorite shampoo brand? Uh, so, shampoo, whatever bar of soap Andrea buys, I, I use on my head, and then um, I, I do have a little bit of a, I'm not sure I want, I, I, I do have a little bit of a nightly routine. I wash my face every night. I have a little special soap I use for my face. Nice. That makes sense because you just, you just glisten up there on stage. I, have, I, I do. I feel like I get this from my mother. I do. I, I, I'll be honest. I, like, I don't want to brag, but I, I think I, I feel like I have a nice skin. 
Moms give the best gift. I take care of us. Take care Moms of us. Moms yeah. give the best gifts. Mm. All right. This is our final quick fire. You ready? What does the J stand for in J. Josh, and why is it Jehoshaphat? Yeah, so exactly. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, when I was uh, a freshman in college, there was uh, six Josh Smiths in my freshman class, just because oh. there's a lot of Josh Smiths. Wow. My brother, Stephen Smith, that's worse. So my parents like loved Jesus. They were great, but just super uncreative with names. <laughs> so I'm James, which is even worse, James, James Smith. James Joshua Smith. So in college, I started using J. Josh, like for mm-hmm. everything, like okay. legally and everything, just to make some distinction. So I'm gotcha. J. Josh I feel Smith. Like James Smith is generic name number one. Yeah. Like on the top of the list. It's true. Okay. And Josh Smith is uh is is pretty Probably close. Yeah, I made I a good you. I made a good amount of Josh Smiths. So <laughs> J. Josh. Yeah. Well, um, that's all for quick fire. So we're gonna get into the questions that people submitted over the past few weeks. Um, people submitted either anonymously or they put their name in. So we're gonna make sure we get to the people who put their name in. Um, because they were bold enough to, mm. to actually I love show that. their face. Thank you all. Um, Amelia Hunt asks, what is the best way to reach those who think that they are saved but don't show any fruit? Yeah, hey, Amelia. Thanks for your question. Um, so when I was preaching through the book of Hebrews, I don't know if you remember that. It was like yeah. four years of preaching through Hebrews. Uh, so vaguely. You remember that? Vaguely remember that? Um, one of the things I'd, I'd, I realized during that, because there's a lot there about these types of people, is the best question to ask someone to really discern whether they really know the Lord is just to ask them about Jesus, not about the time they got saved, but just uh, talk to me about Jesus for a while. Like, what does Jesus mean to you? And so when it comes to people that think they're saved, but they don't show any fruit, um, I, I like to try to get them to talk about Jesus. Talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to know about church right now. I don't want to know about a decision you made. Just tell me about Jesus. Like, what, what effect does Jesus have on your life? What does Jesus mean to you? And I think what you'll discern is there's a lot of people that think they're saved, but they have no affection for Jesus. Mm. Jesus just doesn't mean much to them. So to me, I want to get to the Jesus thing. So I'm a Jesus guy. So I want to get right to the Jesus thing. I recently heard a sermon or a podcast or something, and I think it was Sinclair Ferguson. He had said something to the effect of, like, if I were to tell you about the most famous man in the world, your first remark would be, what is he really like? And so, like, I guess in a sense, that's what you're saying. Like, you want people to tell you what is he really like. Yeah, just talk. So when I get, like, this exact question, when when you're trying to reach someone that you think may not be saved, I just keep bringing them to Jesus. Like, what? talk to me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? And... And um, I think what they would discern if they have no love and affection for Jesus, you're obviously not a, a Christian. Right. So, mm. yeah. Mm, that's good. Um, second question. How do you share the gospel with people of other religions without pushing them away? Yeah, I love that. So a uh, little fact you may not know. When I was in seminary, I worked with international student ministry at Duke University for three years. So that's what I did. I was on staff at First Baptist Durham, North Carolina. And all I did was international student ministry at Duke. So that's what I did. And so a lot of, most of that was postdoctoral students from China. So did a lot of this kind of stuff. And, you know, I would say the same thing, relationship building. So connecting with people relationally. And then I would say this, just same answer as the first one, continue to bring them back to Jesus. So we're going to get to this a little bit later, but we believe enough in the sovereignty of God to know that if someone's going to get saved, God's going to have to do a work in their life that we can't do by arguing them into it. So we love people. We talk about Jesus. Uh, my, my uncle Jim Eliff used to talk about how we should talk to people 
with kind of unhindered, unreserved speech, meaning when you and I talk together, we talk about Jesus openly, yeah. and we'll say, God's blessed us, and I prayed about this. When we talk to a lost person, we seem to say, I thought about this instead of I prayed about this, or I sure am lucky instead of blessed. Just okay. talk openly as a follower of Jesus Christ, like it's real to you, like this is every day. That's good. And so when it comes to people of other religions, again, pulling them back to Jesus, building strong relationships, and continuing the conversation without pushing them to make a decision because they're going to make a decision when God has them ready to make a decision. Mm. I love that. I really do. Um, last week we talked about um, spending time in the word and what does it look like? What is the word? And so what does your quiet time look like? Sure. Uh, I, I feel like I don't want to be um, necessarily adamant about this in a sense, but I, for me, I have to spend time with the Lord in the mornings. I'm just, I'm freshest in the mornings. Once the day starts, it's hard to, to find mm-hmm. that time. At night, I can't give my best attention. I know some people can, but the bigger deal for me is I just, I need to start off the day on that trajectory, mm-hmm. uh, seeking to be filled with the Spirit. So I'm generally reading through the Bible uh, on a plan, just always. This year, I did something a little bit different. I'm reading through the Gospels consistently. Every month, I'm reading mm-hmm. all four Gospels. So, uh, and I'm doing some other things as well. So my time in the morning looks like, uh, reading the Bible, and I always read the Bible with a pen in hand. Mm-hmm. I think I said this, I don't know if I said this in a sermon recently, but my uncle taught me that if you read the Bible with a pen in your hand, it's an act of faith. It's basically mm-hmm. saying, I'm expecting God to give me something. Mm-hmm. So I keep yeah. a moleskin journal. If you were to come to my office, you can see all of mine from about 2004. I've got a journal wow. for every year all lined up, mm-hmm. and they're all there. And I resource them re- regularly. Like I mm-hmm. think about something the Lord taught me, and, yeah. and I keep sermon notes or whatever I'm listening to. But yeah, a journal... A Bible in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, expecting God to tell me something, writing things down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my pr- I learned something from George Mueller, uh, not personally. I, we never really got to know each other, but uh, <laughs> a famous uh, missionary. He's known for his prayer, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a book, the spiritual, is it the spiritual Secrets of George Mueller or something like that. He talks about the fact that he used to always get up in the morning and try to pray first. And then he'd read his Bible and he never could pray. But when he switched it and started reading his Bible first and then praying, it started to work. And the reason is because he just prayed the scripture. So he's praying as he's reading the Bible. So that's more of a habit to me. I'm reading something. The Lord speaks to me. I stop and I, and I pray, you know, and I really do feel, um, I do feel like, and hopefully I think we're going to talk about this some this fall. I really do believe you can hear from God, Mm -hmm. not in a sense of like you're receiving new revelation that's on the same lines as the Bible, but right. I mean, when you're reading the Bible, God says something to you and yeah. he speaks to you. And I, I, I think a turning point in my time with God had been the fact, the realization that I can hear from God. Yeah. I really believe I can hear from God. One of the things I'm most grateful for is your emphasis on like, you can't lead well if you're not spending your time with the Lord. And so that's, I mean, it's true. And I'm just really grateful that you yeah. let us know every Sunday, like I'm spending time with the Lord because I'm meant to lead you well yeah. and because you love the Lord. Well, so. that's true for my family. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my, you don't need this now, but those you listen to can just, you know, put this somewhere and remember it. My key to parenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I only, my oldest is 17, so who knows? They may all end up in prison. <laughs> I don't know. But I, my key to parenting, my best advice on parenting is there's nothing that matters more than your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. That's mm-hmm. it. Like the, all the books aside, you just got to walk with Jesus. And yeah. that affects everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's true mm-hmm. for pastoring, too. Um, on kind of the note of the word, this was sent in uh, anonymously, but um, someone says, I often can spend hours watching TV or hanging out with friends, but then struggle to read my Bible more than 15 minutes. How do I grow in love for Christ and reading the word? I know it needs to be more of a priority in my life, but it can often feel hard to motivate myself to do it. What would you say to that person? <laughs> uh, so when it comes 
to walking with the Lord, what I would say is if you're going to be good at anything, I, I want to not over-spiritualize this answer. If you want to be good at anything, you're good at something because you work at it. Right. So we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We, uh, Philippians 2, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So that work out right there um, means sustained, uh, sustained strenuous effort. Uh, this working out. So if you want to be if you want to be a good piano player, you practice. So what I would say to this is this is really simply a matter of discipline. Mm-hmm. If you sometimes you read the Bible because you desire it. Sometimes you desire it because you read it. Mm-hmm. So if you sit there and wait, well, I don't really feel like doing this. I'd rather watch TV. Well, sure. But if you were to go and make the choice to turn off the TV and read the Bible and to sit there and do it, that would change the desire. So you don't wait for a desire. So I feel like this question is really more of a matter of you say you want to do something, but you don't want it enough to sit down and do it. So turn off the TV, take an hour, and read your Bible whether you feel like it or not. And then through doing that, through pressing through and doing that, I think that might change your desire. So I would say that question is simply, if you're spending hours watching tv or hanging out with friends but struggle with your bible reading that's a discipline issue Mm. there's no real spiritual answer to that as much as Mm -hmm. if it matters you do it i mean i you'd rather watch tv than study you'd rather watch tv than do anything right (laughs) but if you want to get an a you study and if you want to read your bible and walk with jesus you do it Mm. yeah that's my answer to that truly is a discipline um, I really love this question. I think it's really vulnerable and honest. Um, I firmly believe in God's ability to hold me fast to the end, and yet I can't get out, get out of ongoing sin. It leads me to believe that either God isn't powerful enough or I'm not saved. What would you say? How do I look to Christ and treasure him as I have before? Sure. So, you know, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar, and the truth of God is not in you. So the book of First John, I think, would speak a lot to this, and it would, that would probably be a good place to dive in a little bit on this question for the person the anonymous person who wrote this. But it doesn't matter who wrote it because I would say this is every single believer's experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, what I would say is this, in a sense, it's the ongoing sin that keeps you holding fast. It's the ongoing sin that helps you continue to treasure the Lord. Like it's, it's you don't sin <laughs> in purposely because it draws you more to Christ. But like if it wasn't for the sin, what would keep drawing you to spend time with the Lord? Like, Emma, you were just saying the reason I would try to walk with the Lord in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it's sin. It's I know that I'm going to not be kind to my kids. I know I'm going to have a quick, you know, quick responses. Uh, I know I'm not going to walk in moral purity without Jesus. So mm-hmm. it's really the struggle with ongoing sin in, in much degree that yep. keeps me going back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What, what the devil wants to do is take your ongoing sin and make it turn it into shame. And so what we do is we run and hide. This is the natural response to sin. This is Adam and Eve. We Mm -hmm. sin, we hide, but then God pursues us. So what I would say is allow that sin to make you run to God, not away from God. That that sin should make you constantly running to Jesus and be aware of the sufficient grace for that. And I and you know, uh, as as we read at the beginning of Romans in Romans six, we don't continue to walk in sin that grace may abound. But it's it's the sin that's driving you to keep treasuring Christ. How good is it that even in the midst of your sin, Christ loves you and is calling you back and has forgiveness for you? Mm-hmm. So sin will always be a reality in your life, no matter what, always. Mm-hmm. Just make sure your response to it is not to run away, but to run to. And it's the counter of everything you want to do. Your sin always yeah. makes you want to run in shame. It always makes you want to hide. It always makes you want to run from God. But let it run to him. And what will happen, I think you'll start to treasure Christ more yeah. because you'll see mm-hmm. his tenderness 
we, your sin. We kind of talked about it with Sky, but it was it's the tension of Romans six, seven, and eight. Yeah. You, you know, the, yeah. the we we shouldn't sin anymore because we're no longer slaves, and yet you still do sin. There's no condemnation now. Live for Jesus. So it's like the the, the tension yeah. that's there. Um, so another one of the questions that were asked by someone specific, Brian Perry asks, how do you balance answering God's call to move to Athens while still working together with Miss Andrea as a team? Oh, Ryan, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Uh, I would say we were, um, what, what, what happened right there? Nothing. <laughs> Did I mess something up? She wanted us to ask the predestination question. Yes. <laughs> so she skipped. I was wondering why I you just skipped really care. the question. I just really care about you Ryan You really Perry. care about anything with Miss Andrea. I really and care. I do. Okay. I really do. All right. So, uh, sorry, <laughs> listeners. If you were here in the room, you would have noticed everyone laughing when this question was asked. It's because she skipped a hard question and went to a very softball, I just love Miss Andrea question. so I know you do. So I this really is great. Do. So just know the fastballs are coming in a minute, but we're still doing softballs here. Um Almost, I would say almost with everything, we've, mm -hmm. Andrew and I have just been on the same page, so we, we weren't looking to move, we weren't mm -hmm. thinking about moving. As a matter of fact, Prince called us originally and we weren't interested. They called back a few months later and between that, just a number of things that happened in our life. I, I just, our frustration with schooling where we were, mm -hmm. our sense that it was time for a new person to step into ministry we were in, that our assignment was done. My dad had been diagnosed with cancer between those first call on the second call oh. which is a desire for us to get back to Atlanta mm -hmm. like there was just so many things happening in there and so I would say when we visited here it was very much of a sense of I think we felt the same that the Lord was calling us here mm -hmm. um, our, one of our first moves so we've lived in three places since we've been married the the first bigger move we made I was probably more convinced we were supposed to go than she was mm -hmm. but at the same time she trusted that it was right and knew right. that it was harder for her this one was very much a yeah, we're, this is it. We're ready. We know God's in it. And so uh, just God put us on the same page. I don't say that. I'm not sure that always happens. I just think that was really yeah. a gracious gift of God for us both being ready. Like, I mean, visiting the church, visiting the school, we just thought, man, this is a win for us, for mm -hmm. our family. Wanted to be back home. So this, a lot of that, it was a pretty easy decision. That's it's not awesome. always that way, but that right. generally was. That's yeah. awesome. All right. I got the fastball for you. Okay. What are your thoughts on predestination, the elect, and free will? Um. Can I phone a friend or do I get a skip or something here? So, uh, okay. <laughs> skip. Reverse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You edit this, right? Uh, you know, I love this question. So let me just tell you a little bit about my personal story. I talk about this a lot with people. Uh, when I first started to walk with the Lord, the, probably the primary influences on my life uh, were more from the Reformed camp. Okay. Um, and that's a lot of reasons. The, the people that invested in me were that way. The books that I started to read, I started to read a lot of the Puritans, uh, a lot of Jonathan Edwards. Of course, my generation, even I think much more than y'all's, my generation was really influenced by Piper, and that mm -hmm. put everybody in this whole stream, all that kind of stuff. So I would say early in my Christian life, just because of the things I was reading and the people that influenced me and the pastors I was under and my association with a couple of ministries— um, and even my time at First Baptist Durham in seminary, that was a really reformed church, really led me in that direction. I got a little bit disenfranchised with um, guys that were so adamant about that and made that their thing. That kind of started to bother me. And then what started to happen is, I'm not avoiding the question, I'm getting to it. 
I started to see the difference between systematic theology and biblical theology. So this is big. Systematic theology is let's take everything the Bible says about everything and put it in a system, a well-organized system. Mm -hmm. Biblical theology is I'm going to teach what this text says at this moment. Mm -hmm. Systematic theology is really helpful, and everybody needs to study systematic theology. The problem is there's a lot of mystery and not everything sits and fits in a systematic theology. So where I think a lot of the points of Calvinism reform theology, you can make a lot of logical arguments for it and systematic theology arguments, but you're also going to come to some texts in which it doesn't seem to make much sense. So where I landed mainly from preaching through books of the Bible, and I would say mainly from preaching the book of Ephesians probably a few years before I got here was that I really am committed to biblical theology, so I want to preach text. And when I get to a text that indicates that no one gets saved without God working in their heart first, particularly mm -hmm. texts like John 6 and those things, that God always has to do the preemptive work, I'm going to preach that, and I think that's right. When I get to a text that said God wants everybody to be saved, and I need to—I uh, did my— doctoral dissertation on pleading with people to come to Christ because Paul talks a lot about, and this is 2 Corinthians 5 and a lot of other passages, I'm pleading with you on Christ's behalf, Paul says, to be reconciled to God. So the Paul who seems to indicate that no one's going to get saved unless God does a work in them is also the guy who's up there preaching and pleading with people to get saved, which makes me think Paul um, was not trying to fit everything in that systematic way. He didn't he was okay with the tension of that. And so where I've been okay with the tension of that, um, my view on um, Ephesians 1, which seems to be people's real um, kind of text on, uh, on predestination. So my, my view on predestination is this. Predestined means God has a predetermined plan. Mm -hmm. I believe predestination means God has a predetermined plan that, and I get this from Ephesians 1 that, and from Romans 8, that the predetermined plan is this, is that all of God's people will be sanctified and they will walk with the Lord. His predetermined plan is to make us look like Jesus. So God's mm -hmm. predetermined plan for all of his children is to make them look like Jesus. I think the chosen in Ephesians 1, we're getting into the weeds here, but I think our chosen in Ephesians 1 is more of a corporate choosing, mm -hmm. meaning God chosen Old Testament people. And in the same way God chooses a people, he has a people for his own possession uh, Titus tells us that they're zealous for good works, so God's creating a people. So I, I, I would love to talk more about this. I guess what I would say is this. Be careful of trying to fit everything into a system because if you do that, what's going to happen is you're going to get to a text and you're not going to know what to do with it because it doesn't fit in your system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So you're going to go, I don't know what to do with this text, and it's going to freak you out. What I would say is this. Preach every text and preach what's there, and what you're going to find when it comes to Calvinism predestination is there's just a lot of mystery there's a lot of very clear indications that no one gets saved unless God does the first work. Uh, and I think a lot of indications that well, certainly everyone that God saves is going to make it till the end. And those who God's working in their life are going to be saved. There's so much of that. But there's also a ton of indications that I got to beg people to come to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so I, I just. Yeah. I, I love that because like even uh, in Ephesians, the primary message that Paul is trying to get across is not for us to stumble over predestination and election and the chosen. And yeah. the primary message of Ephesians 1 is union with Christ. The, like, so like right. his, his goal is to get us to understand. Well, and the, where this really helped me, the believers in Ephesus were feeling like they were lesser Christians because they weren't Jews. Right. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, no, if you're a believer— you are a part of the chosen people of God. Mm -hmm. And every blessing in the heavenly places is yours, just like it was to the Old Testament people. So what he's trying to do is use Old Testament language to say, you are the chosen, you are the beloved, 
all the blessing is yours, trying to make them understand that a New Testament Gentile believer is just as much as chosen and just as much a part of the, gets them as much of the blessing as the Old Testament believers did. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to get them to understand that. And he's using Old Testament language to say, you're the chosen people of God. So God chose a people in the Old Testament. Listen, not all of those people got into the promised land, right? A whole generation missed it, but God has Mm -hmm. always had a people. And so in the New Testament, God has a people. And I think he's trying to emphasize that God's plan has always been the same. I'm going to have a people and those people are going to be for my glory. So Mm -hmm. I just, I'm a little, I'm more and more leery of over systematic theology. Mm -hmm. And that's why I preach the books of the Bible and just much more biblical theology. Yeah, that's good. Um, This one might not be as much of a fastball in terms of, you know, doctrine and theology, but definitely um, in light of, you know, recent events, uh, the question is, how would Jesus respond to someone who is upset about the Roe v. Wade ruling? Is it best to lovingly correct them or say nothing? So when it says someone upset, I guess my, my, my distinction there would be if it's a believer, an unbeliever. If mm-hmm. it's an unbeliever, I don't expect them to be pro-life. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I mean, if an, I'm not going to argue with an unbeliever about Roe versus Wade. I'm not yeah. going to get into that argument. First of all, I'm not going to change their mind by arguing. I'm not going to bring them closer to Christ by arguing. So if it's an unbeliever, I'm just going to say, this is how I feel. And I'm going to leave it there. And I'm not going to try to argue if it's a believer, that's going to be different. So if I have a believer that is pro choice, I'm going to have conversations with them and I'm going to try to convince them that to be pro, I said this a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning to be pro life is not to be oppressing women. Yeah. We just actually believe that that baby in there is a living human being mm-hmm. and we think that nobody has the right to take that life. So I'm going to argue biblically with a believer on that and say, let's talk about this. Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I, what drives me the most crazy as a guy with four daughters is this narrative that if you're pro-life, you, you don't think women have any rights. Mm-hmm. No, I just think the baby has rights too. Yeah. And so yeah. an unbeliever, I'm not going to worry about it. A believer, I'm going to argue with them from scripture mm-hmm. that they yeah. need to be pro-life. That's and that's not oppressing women to be pro-life. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's awesome. Um, this is, I think we have time for one more question. Yeah. Um, and so this last one, I, I can throw a fastball. Um, did God die on the cross or was it just the humanity side of Jesus? Ah, that's good. So it's funny. The only reason I know anything about this is because a buddy of mine wrote a paper on this in seminary. And I remember reading it and think it was really interesting. Mm. Um, there is a early church heresy, patriopassianism, which means the father suffered which basically was trying to make the case that on the cross, God died in Mm -hmm. a sense. It's a heresy because it's what we call modalism, which means there's really, there's no Trinity. God, the father became God, the son, and then God, the son became God, the spirit. So it's just one God in different forms. We don't believe that we believe in God in three persons. So, uh, Jesus died. And fully God, fully man. And you can't make a distinction between the fully God and the fully man in a sense. It wasn't just the Mm. humanity. God, in that sense, Jesus, God the Son, died. We have to believe that that happened. Again, there's massive mystery there. Mm -hmm. And this is a big deal with my theology. A big deal with my theology is embracing mystery, Mm -hmm. is not, not having to figure out everything about predestination, being okay with saying, you know, you're only going to get saved if Jesus comes after you and the Holy Spirit works in you first, and I can't do that. Like, that's totally a Reformed view, and I believe it. Right. So I just, I think the mystery in that is good. And I think with this, God the Father didn't die, so we have to make mm-hmm. sure this idea comes out of basically a misunderstanding of the Trinity. God the Father didn't die. God the Spirit didn't die. God the Son died. 
mm. we have to believe God the Son died. I mean, that's mm. if we think he just fell asleep or somehow didn't die, then we're missing the gospel. So, yeah, I would say Jesus. And you, you can't, it's hard to make a distinction, and you got to be careful talking about, well, that's the humanity side of Jesus. Right. Well, that's the divine side of Jesus. Well, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And I don't know how you, I don't think you slice that down the middle. Yeah. Um, you also have to be a little careful, though, saying that God the sun died because he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And if right. he were to cease to exist, then the universe would cease to exist. Right. right? So yeah. you have, there is like a, no, there's, there's some mystery there. Mystery. Tension. Yeah. There's mystery there. Yeah. And like, I can't think, I, I was talking to a guy recently. There's a guy who, this is funny. There's a guy who wrote a book that really influenced me. And I thought I would just find out where he lives and send him an email and see if he would talk to me. And he did, which is really funny. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's go. So uh, really like I, I wrote him and I said, this book really helped me. Would you talk to me? And we scheduled an appointment, talk for an hour. He, Every time I would ask him a question, he would go, he would pause and he'd go, well, I'd have to, I'd have to find a text for that. And just, every, he did that like five times. Mm -hmm. And what it made me realize, this guy wasn't going to give me an, any answer without finding a text for that. So what I would right. say on this is, I, I can't think of a distinct text that addresses this yeah. specific issue. Right. And if not, then I'm going to end up being a little bit of a futile attempt to try to figure all that out. Yeah. There is some mystery there, but yeah. we have to believe that Jesus fully died because if he didn't die, that our, our sins wouldn't be given. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Are well, we missing any good ones here? Do you, do you, yeah. Do you want to get it? Low? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Listeners, how do you guys feel? Do you, do you want more? We want more. Okay. okay. One more. One, All right, more. one more. Joe Connor asks, why are the genealogies of Christ different mm. in Matthew and Luke? Well, first of all, let me say, I'm a Joe Connor fan. He's, he's Aren't we all? He's a Joe oh, Connor I really fan. Like that guy. He's so great. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I would say a couple of things on this. First of all, both of them uphold the prophecy that Jesus is going to come from the line of David. They both do that. They were written to different audiences. So Matthew, writing to a primarily Jewish audience, um, starts with Abraham and then traces it, which makes sense. Luke starts with Adam because Luke, of all the Gospels, is, is preaching the Gospel for everyone, for women, for the oppressed, for slaves. I mean, this is Luke's theme. So they start in different places in order to do that. Um, there's a lot of theories on why there's a few differences. There, there's not, neither one of them, are, there's not a conflict between them. They just, they just look at it from a different angle. And I think that's because of audiences. To me, the most compelling argument is this, is that Matthew is tracing Joseph's genealogy and Luke is tracing Mary's. Yeah. Both mm -hmm. matter because Matthew follows Matthew's dreams and visions and gives us more information about Matthew, I mean, uh, sorry, about Joseph than anybody else does. So Matthew's tracing Joseph's genealogy and Joseph's journey in that. No one else gives us that information. Luke is clearly tracing Mary's journey. No one else gives us the Luke 2 stuff uh, except for Luke. And I think that's interesting too because Luke has so much emphasis on the value of women and God's love for women and the women that supported Jesus' ministry. No one else gives us that. So a lot of people would say that uh, Luke really was tracing Mary's genealogy and then follows the story of Mary. So obviously every person has, they both come from the line of David, but they both have two separate genealogies in the sense, right? And Joseph mm -hmm. comes from one and Mary comes from the other. So that's probably, uh, to me, there's other arguments. That's the most compelling argument to me yeah. on how that works. But, and audience matters. I mean, this is why, for instance, like another example is there's the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, Luke gives it and Matthew gives it. Luke 15 and Matthew 18, same parable, almost exact same words, but it's two totally different meanings. Luke's uh, is talking about the lost sheep as someone who is an unbeliever. It's in Luke 15. Matthew is talking about as a church member who's wandered away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So exact same story, two different meanings. I think that's what you have with the genealogies. Yeah. 
they're they're showing the same thing, but they're showing it from two different angles because two different audiences. Mm-hmm. So Matthew and Luke do this a lot. Yeah, context is huge there. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, Pastor Josh, we are super thankful that mm-hmm. you um, were able to sit down with us and to answer all these fastballs. That's great. And, how uh, many people have done this podcast? I'm just wondering how many people uh, asked well, before me. Uh, uh, we three did it. Okay. Um, and then Adam and then Sky and then we three did it two more times. Okay. And now it's you. Okay. Okay. So three, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, okay. I'm fine being top 10, I guess. Okay. Top okay. 10. I'm maybe I'm 11, 12. You're, you're top, top three. You're top three. three. Guest. Top three on the guest list. Yeah, okay. top three on the guest. Okay. Good, good. After so let me just be clear. Down. Jace hasn't done it before me. Correct. Oh, Absolutely. Right, good. So I'm He's good. begging we, Jace was actually <laughs> the last one we scheduled. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, this is great. Listen, I just, before we go, I, I absolutely love our college ministry. Uh, Emma, you were asking about our move to Athens. A big part of that was I'd always wanted to pastor in a college town. Mm-hmm. This ministry really, really matters to me. I'm thrilled about the college students God has bring. I mean, it is a huge part of why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And so I want to see this mini, uh, ministry continue to thrive. Um, I'm just really excited. And that is strange considering that Adam's never been to my house. Right. <laughs> but I really do love this ministry. <laughs> and we are so super thankful for you. Um, well, I think there's only one thing left to say, and I don't think that you're very familiar with this, but Emma, Daniel, you want to take it away? We love you. And we love being your Prince College Podcast. Oh, I love it. Thanks so much.